Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you would get your Bibles, open them up to the book of Romans, chapter 14. Romans, chapter 14. We're going to start with verse 1 here in just a little bit. There's a lot of questions that people tend to have about things that the Scriptures do not specifically cover. Um, How many of you guys, does the Bible say don't smoke? Does it say don't smoke specifically? Doesn't say it, does it? You know, I have people who have, that I've known in my lifetime, who preachers and youth pastors, and they really like to rail on people for their habits. Now, railing on people is not a successful way to do anything, first of all. Okay? Second of all, I realize that where they are in their walk with the Lord, the Lord may not have brought this conviction on them yet. I can tell whether he has or not. You know how? And I'm telling you, these two, these two types of people exist. If I pull up in somebody's driveway, and they're standing in the driveway smoking a cigarette, and they see that it's the preacher, and they immediately hide that cigarette, throw it down on the ground, put their foot over the top of it, try to grind it into the driveway so there's no evidence, guess what there's a pretty good chance the Holy Spirit's convicting them on? But then there are other individuals who have been fairly new Christians. I get out of the car, walk up to them. They never stop smoking. And if they don't stop smoking, the preacher's standing in front of them, guess what God's probably not telling them? Now you can say, what's common sense? Individuals ought to know you don't suck stuff into your lungs. Right? But here's what we don't get. Too many times we as individuals isolate ourselves to our own thoughts and we live inside our own bubble. And what I mean by that is we don't think a whole lot about the consequences that reach farther out than our own bubble. Okay? For instance, historic decision by the Supreme Court. Amen? Now I can stand here and I can say with absolute confidence that that was a God-honoring decision. But I can also say, when you look at Christians given the argument for the right to life, do you know who they're not thinking about? They're not thinking about the woman out there who's already had one. She can't reverse that. Does she need to be beat up? Or does she need to be loved? She needs to be extended the grace of God. And she needs to be loved. Now I can stand here as an individual and I can, I can give you a list of things that the scripture themselves say are sin. But does that give me the right to confront just anybody about theirs? Are you supposed to present the gospel to every person you come across? The Bible says don't throw your pearls before swine. And his point to that is, you don't take something that is that valuable and give it to someone who not only don't care about it, but is going to actually hate you for presenting it. 
You just seeking for persecution? I mean, persecution should come natural on a daily basis just by living the lives that we live. We don't have to be mean to make a point. We don't have to be mean to make a point. And the truth of it is, if we as individuals stayed more focused on our own relationship with Jesus than we were on other people's relationships with Jesus, and I say more focused, I'm not talking complete detachment, because that's not scriptural either. We're accountability partners, right? I am my brother's keeper. If I catch you in a sin, I'm supposed to restore you in a spirit of gentleness, right? That's confrontation. But it's not judgment. We're about to get into a word here that's thrown around pretty willy-nilly in our culture today. You're not allowed to judge people. But we also know that Jesus says, that we've all been called to be fruit inspectors, right? Did did Jesus or did he not say, you will know them according to their fruits. You will know them according to the things they do. That's not judgment. Judgment is a final determination. Have you ever had anybody walk up to, to you and say, you will never, ever amount to anything? That's judgment. Because I just made a call that I can't make. This is why judgment is also, you're going to hell. That's judgment too. Because according to the grace of God, who's the only one who knows whether he will or not? It's above my pay grade. I shouldn't be making that call. Judgment takes God out of the equation. Systematic reasoning doesn't take God out of the equation. People say, oh, we're supposed to have faith and not live by logic and reason. Honestly, have you looked at how reasonable the Bible is? It is flatline reasonable. You will reap what you sow. In other words, you go out there and start punching people in the nose, and guess what eventually you're going to find? Someone who hits harder than you do. That's what that means. But we live in a world where everybody, it's not a matter of ministering to people or even leading those individuals to Christ. It's more about being right. And many people, look at Facebook. People do not care who they shred. They don't care how much they shred individuals for their own opinions. Do you remember when I was a kid, when you were watching TV and somebody got on the TV saying something you didn't like, what did we do? Change the channel for crying out loud. We see little kids, they bullied me. You have no idea what bullying was until you've been bullied in the late 70s. You can't even say anything to disagree with people because just to disagree with someone is hateful. Am I allowed to be fed up? On one side I am. The thing is, though, if I become really fed up, then what am I going to do for all these people out here in the world that are lost, that are driving me up a tree? What good am I to them? Judgment's got to stop. You have an opinion. I haven't said this in a while. My daddy coined it. You have an opinion. Opinions are like backsides. Everybody has one, and most of them stink. 
Just a fact. When it comes to faith in Christ, we're not supposed to have any opinions. My Bible tells me that I died to myself and that I have been made alive in Christ. It is no longer I that live, but who? Christ that lives in me. Am I entitled to an opinion? Really not. Because in the end, who is the only opinion that matters? You see, people's opinions, the ones that are running around out there sharing their opinions, there is no God. Homosexuality is not a sin. God loves everybody. Everybody's got a chance to love whoever they want to. Those are lies from the pits of hell. They're lies. And they have these people convinced that that opinion supersedes any absolute truth. They don't believe in absolute truth. There's no such thing as absolute truth. Do you believe that to be absolute? If you want to live in a bubble, then make sure Jesus is your roommate. Because at least once in a while, you'll come out of the bubble. And when you do come out, we'll do no harm to the kingdom. And we will always be people driven to do what is good for the kingdom. Chapter 14, read with me, start with verse 1, the book of Romans. Now, accept the one who was weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Let's stop right there. All right? Read that verse again. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. How many of you guys have ever hung around with brand new Christians? Ever hang around with a brand new Christian? I hang around with a lot of brand new Christians. Wait, it's discipleship, it's kind of required. You have to hang around with brand new Christians in order to disciple them. Okay? Now, the fact is, um, we, as individuals who are considered the mature ones in the church... A fairly young Christian lets a cuss word slip. What does the church usually do? I mean, we don't really, we don't highlight their mistake, do we? We don't turn a spotlight on it. Where there was probably very little attention to be turned to it, we don't turn more attention to it by pointing it out, right? I got news for you, just in case you all forgot, okay? If you're a believer... You didn't trust in Jesus, and then, boom, you were the person you are today. It's not how it worked. You had a lot of bad habits, too, right? And it took a while for some of those bad habits to be worked out, right? Because the church doesn't need holier-than-thou people. Because the truth is, there's no such thing as holier-than-thou because it takes the exact same amount of grace to get everybody over the bar, and nobody deserves to be put on top of the pedestal except Christ. Nobody. When we look at people, what do we see? Do we see conflict? Do we see trouble? Do we see difficulty? 
or do we see potential? Because from a theological standpoint, if that individual just gave their life to Christ, God knew before the foundations of the world that they would give their lives to Christ, right? And you talk about no pressure. He says, hey, these people are going to come to know Jesus in your lifetime, and your responsibility is to make sure that they grow into healthy, Christian, mature adults. That's your job. Would we approach it any different? Of course we would. We would begin to come, become intentional. Instead of having a little boy make us want to pull our hair out, we try to find ways to minister to him that actually calms him down and allows him to hear the message. And we figure those things out rather than do what apparently so many other have. You're not allowed in here anymore. Little kids running in the sanctuary. I hadn't been here very long at all, maybe three years, two years. Zachary was probably, yeah, this guy right here. He was maybe two. Running down the aisle. One of the church members turned around to me and, he's a preacher's kid, he ought to know better. Fact is, he's a kid. And I guarantee you, that kid running down that aisle had Jesus smiling from ear to ear. They didn't want stuff stuck to the walls. You know why? Look at the walls. See those little... Those are duct tape marks. See them? We've got them on the ceiling. Look up here. Duct tape marks. You know what those are? Battle scars. They're battle scars. Folks, the fact is, we've got to get behind this. And by, by behind this, I mean this motion that Jesus Christ himself started. This motion that says, if you will just stop and take a breath, Read what I've told you. There's very clear instructions here. If someone falls on their face, am I supposed to use their back to clear the puddle? Or am I supposed to be picking them up, helping them dust them off, going over what happened? How did you fall? Let's see if we can make that not happen again. But Christians... We are the only ones who shoot our wounded. Even all the lost institutions, organizations out there, I have never seen one that likes to shoot their wounded like Christians do. I tell people, I've said it here a half dozen times in 20 years. I've been here 21 years. It'd be 21 years. And I've said this a half dozen times. I don't like people. I don't. When you counsel a 12-year-old girl who's been strapped to the floor of her mobile home, rented out to men to do anything they want, Lord, help me if I ever got my hands on that man. Lord, help me if I ever got my hands on that woman. People stealing people all over this country, shipping them off to foreign countries for a buck into the sex slave, the slick trade. There are actual groups of people in this world. One of them is called Mambly. Anybody ever heard of them? North American Man-Boy Love Association. Yep. They actually have an organized group of men that get together and talk about how much they love little boys. That make you want to shoot somebody? 
But here's the deal. It doesn't matter what they've done. They're still a fallen human being just like you and me. I'm just like anyone else. There are people who do evil stuff out there. And it's like, Lord, I really hope that your will is for that person to perish because he deserves it. Right? He deserves it. So do I. Comes right down to it. So do I. How big, is the, how big does the offense have to be before it becomes a big deal? We become so distracted by the righteousness that we forget what we're doing is dealing with people. Not a schedule. Not a responsibility that's going to return financially. Not a responsibility that's going to produce anything like a company. But we're supposed to be in the business of producing people. Christians, individuals who we share the faith, they trust in Jesus, we teach them the truth, they grow in the truth, they share the faith, people trust in Jesus. It's supposed to be a cycle. The cycle breaks if the link ever separates. You take one generation that does not share the gospel, guess what the next generation isn't going to do? It's about the good things, folks. It's not about the bad things. You Wait a minute. That preacher's going soft. No, I'm not. You heard me say it, and I'll say it again. Homosexuality is sin. So is gluttony. And there ain't one of them that should be, have attention turned to it more than the other. But it doesn't change the fact that they both stand true. Amen? So we know we're going to see it because everybody's full of it. Verse 2 says, follow me, we're going to go a little ways here. One man has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Let him who eats uh, regard, let, I'm sorry, let not him who eats regard with contempt him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man regards uh, uh, one man regards one day above another; another regards every day uh, alike. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Here's the deal, and this is, and I don't believe that our minds actually go there, but this is the way that it kind of translates. We almost give off, we almost give off the aroma of being in control. And on some level, isn't this true? We believe we're in control. I mean, don't you make choices every day? Are you going to go to lunch after church day, eat something you don't like? No, you're going to give some pretty good thought about what you'd like to have after church day, and then you're going to drive however far it takes you to get there, and you're going to order whatever was on the menu that triggered you that direction. You're just going to be someone who's habitual about the things that we do. 
Right? I got ants who are Pentecost. They don't believe that you're supposed to even lift a bowl out of the refrigerator and sit it on the table. Do I think that's crazy? Yes, I think that's crazy. Is it right for me to think that's crazy to the extent that me believing they're nuts because they must think that it's crazy too? No. Here's what I don't get. Walk up to the front door. This is a, all right, write this down. If you haven't wrote it down, I'm going to give you a tip, all right? And this is a pretty obvious tip, to be honest with you. If you walk up to somebody's door and you knock on it, and that person comes to the door, and the first thing you do, stick your finger in that person's chest and say, without Jesus, you're going to hell. How long is that conversation going to last? You're done. I mean, before you even got started. I had a guy who did that one time, and this guy wanted to learn. I took him to four or five houses. The next house was his. And I was like, dude, I'll be right behind you. He was like, all right, I appreciate that. We got to this house, and this biker dude, about six foot nine, had to, had to stoop over in the door. And he filled this whole door up. Biker, decked out in black leather, chains hanging off of everything that he owned. Drinking a beer, glass beer bottle in his hand. Knock on the door, and this guy sticks his finger in that guy's chest and says, without Jesus, you're going to hell. I turned around and went back to the car. <laughs> and I just knew that when he got in the car, he was going to have about that much of a Bud Light bottle sticking out of his mouth because of the way he talked to this guy. If we're going to reach people, folks, that means we have to go into those areas. And it means we've got to go in there and not lit wicks like a stick of dynamite about to blow up. You know what Jesus actually did? The Pharisees criticized him for it. You know what he did? He went and ate. He went in a house and sat down and had a meal with sinners and publicans. The gall. I got news for you. Lost people tend to hang out where lost people hang out. It would be nice if we just had a list of lost people that would sign up and come in on Sunday morning and say, I want to be saved. But that's not how it happens, okay? You will not find one place in the scripture where it tells the lost person to go find Christ. But you will find a lot of places in the scripture that it says the church needs to go out there and find the lost. In doing this, we've got to be individuals who aren't offensive, we can't be offensive. If the gospel offends somebody, okay, fine and dandy. But we can't be offending people. He talked about two of the most important things in those individual, the rituals in those individuals' lives in, that, in those verses. What were they? You remember? Two most important ritualistic things. Diet and days. Right? Diet because... Jews weren't allowed to eat pork. They weren't allowed to eat. I mean, they had a whole list of things they weren't allowed to eat, right? This is the judgment. The judgment is for an individual to sit. How many of you guys have ever sat at a table? Have you heard the scripture that said that uh, you're supposed to drain the blood from the meat before you eat it? Okay. Big fan, right? Who in here likes medium steaks? I'm a medium steak eater. I mean, I don't like it to move when I stick it, but I like it to be... Nice and charred on the outside, nice and red on the inside. And when you cut into that steak, what comes out on your plate? Blood. So some legalistic dude who's sitting across the aisle from you looks over at you eating a bloody steak. And then all of a sudden this dude's going, oh, I can't even believe that guy can't be a believer. He's eating bloody steak. When the truth is, what are you really thinking? 
I wonder why sheep don't shrink in the rain. That's where a guy's brain goes. I mean, honestly, women are like, I know he's thinking of another woman. I just know that he is. And we're over there going, did I put deodorant on today? It's really just pretty much that simplistic. When we're trying to reach people out there, it takes an intentional plan. Us as individuals laying something out and actually saying, if I want to get a drink of water, I'm going to make this very, very laid out straight, all right? If I want to go get a drink of water, I've got a few choices as to how I do that, okay? I can get on my belly and I can army crawl to the sink. Or I can walk to the sink. Which of the two makes more sense? Now, when I get to the sink, if I'm really thirsty, I've got a couple other options. There are glasses that hold about 16 ounces apiece, or I can cup my hand under the sink and drink out of it. Which of the two, are, which of the two do you think would be better or more effective? This is no different. This is absolutely no different. We make very conscious choices in our day. We're the ones who decide the way we do things. You get up in the morning and you're ready for your day. You decided that you wanted to get ready for your day. That's what made that happen. Our life has been formed in habits. And those habits, they make us individuals who have strong opinions. And I'm telling you, even a lot of scriptures considered a strong opinion to someone who doesn't know Jesus. To us, they're fact. It's faith. It's absolute. To them, it's not. So we change our tactics. Rather than knock on the door, stick our finger in somebody's chest, say, well, Jesus, you're going to hell. How about we ease into it? Like, hey, did you know that Jesus sacrificed himself so that you could live for an eternity? Because this is something I never got. A lot of these things, it seems like we went through about 15 years of people putting out these programs that were most effectively teaching people how to share the gospel. You remember those? You know what, you know what the, the core center to every one of those was? Nope, you're going to go to hell. Would you rather somebody show you, prove to you, that Jesus loves you and that he was willing through his sacrifice to cover all of your sins so that you can go to a place that's perfect where income's not necessary, where there are no bills, there's no sickness, there's no crying, there's no tears? Or if I was to approach it in such a way as to scare them into heaven, What's the difference? I'll tell you. Glad you asked. You scare somebody into heaven, chances are they're more lost now than they were before. Because who has the power to save people? And how do they come to know Jesus? The Bible teaches it very clearly. No one comes to the Father unless he draw him. Right? So we can run around out there, make as many good arguments as we want to. We can pin people down. We can beat them with our Bibles. We can tell them anything that we want to. But if the Holy Spirit doesn't draw them, they will be more lost than they were before we got a hold of them. You say, well, how does somebody get more lost? Because now they're lost and convinced that they're okay. They think what just happened was something that's going to see them through an eternity. But if it didn't happen through the drawing of the Holy Spirit, what a rude awakening that person has. Because the truth is, folks, the church is full of people who have pulled away from the faith. 
It's not as complicated as we've made it. It's not. Not only with us, but with every person in our lives, God has a purpose and plan for them. Their choices they make will, dis- will determine whether they get to that point or not. But the question is, with every person we come across, are we helping people into the kingdom or are we hindering them? Are we helping people stay grounded to get mature? Because you know as well as I do, somebody comes to know Jesus Christ, what kind of a life are they going to live at least for the few, first few months? One, pretty much your entire makeup's changing. On a molecular level, you are morphing into something entirely different. There's confusion. There's mass learning. There's things that you've got to compartmentalize and things you it can be crazy for a person for their first few months. They need somebody to come alongside them and to tell them. Yes, you just gave your life to Jesus. Yes, you're brand spanking new at this. Yes, that means that Satan's gunning for you and he's going to come for you. You know how many people have come to me in my lifetime and said that they wanted to be a minister? And were serious as a heart attack when they came to me and said it. And you know what I told every one of them? If this is true, you better put your armor on. And out of, off the top of my head, 14 people that have come to me and said that to me, do you know how many of them are pastors today? Because Satan flat took them out. Took them out. Highland has baptized over 240 people in 20 years. It's pretty good, ain't it? Where are they? Well, I mean, some of them moved. Some of them accepted the call in the ministry, which is what we're supposed to do. I mean, we're discipling people. We should be sending out pastors and sending out missionaries and sending out youth pastors and music ministers. A healthy church will do that, okay? When an individual is within those first few months of their growth, it's no different than a person who says, I'm going to dedicate my life to serving you, Lord. And that will perk the ears of Satan up. And he knows that his greatest chance of knocking you off of that path is in that first few months of your faith. Because once you get beyond that, if you have somebody next to you who is quick to push grace to you when you make mistakes, but who also expects repentance, regeneration, sanctification, transformation, It's okay to expect both of those things. It's okay to be someone who says, I am going to dedicate my life as an individual who's been at this for a while to coming alongside individuals who are believers, regardless of whether they're in trouble or they're preventing themselves from getting any trouble. How can I help them live out there when I know that they're an alien in a foreign land? Because here's the conflict. Is the church today doing what the church is supposed to be doing? I'm talking big picture. Overall, is the church today doing what it's supposed to be doing? No, it's not. And Highland has been as guilty as any other. And the fact is, if we aren't willing to be individuals who are willing to examine ourselves and be honest about ourselves, then what are we doing anyway? 
This is not a difficult assessment for us. Again, we don't do it because God scares us. We do it because it's what's best for other people. So what is best, best for other people? In other words, if you're going to offer what's best for other people, then what's best for you in order for you to be able to accomplish that? But instead, if I was to ask you the question, when's the last time you shared your faith with somebody? Was it yesterday? A week? A month? Six months. I want to get this straight. Number one reason Jesus came. To seek and save the lost. His church, who claims to be his church, what should be its chiefest responsibility? Yet we have people who say they trust in Jesus Christ. And how long has it been since you've shared Jesus with someone? There comes a point where it's much more beneficial for us as individuals not to desire to be right, but just be willing to admit when we're wrong. Because in all of history, God hasn't forced himself on us. He's made himself very clear as to who he is. And he says, you sit back and assess me. And you decide whether you want to trust me or not. And we know the seriousness of it. He wouldn't have wrote the gospel according to Luke chapter 14 about the seriousness of discipleship. About what he expects from individuals when they become believers. And this is where we've sissied it down. Because I guarantee you, people would do the exact same thing that they did to Jesus. Somebody comes to my office and says, I'm thinking about trusting in Jesus. Okay, well, I just want you to know, if you think about trusting in Jesus, this is what it looks like. Because I can tell you what it looks like. And it's not legalistic. Does God say to not forsake the gathering together? He does. Hebrews chapter 10. He says it. Do not forsake the gathering together as some see fit, but continue to encourage one another as the day draws near. Should, should a new believer go to church? Now, church is a loose term. They need to be around other believers. Zoom won't get it. It's contact. It's close. Where we can see each other. Where we can feel the emotional responses from each other where we actually can have the relationship that God intends for a church to have and if that church gels together and does what God asks it to do then that church is a church that functions the way that God wants it to because it's a church that's functioning from beginning to end producing individuals who are continuing to push his purpose and his plan it really is that simple so my question is just how much does my opinion slow that down In its application in every individual's life that I come across, just how does my opinion slow that down? Because the next time I'm sitting at McDonald's, across the table from somebody, and we're carrying on a conversation about the Supreme Court decision, we're going to be cautious to make sure that there's no chance that there's a woman sitting at the table next to me that's going to hear me talking about abortion and how evil it is. Because she couldn't help it. Not now. She could have did. You ever talk to a woman who had abortion? Talked to a bunch of them myself. Do you know how many of them were happy about it? 
Jesus came down here and loved us unconditionally. He didn't say you have to meet a certain standard. He didn't say you have to be worthy. He didn't put any standard on us whatsoever. He just said, trust in me. It's not Jesus plus your ability to do things. Jesus gives you the ability to do things. It's not Jesus plus your pocketbook. Jesus gave you your pocketbook. This is about a relationship with Jesus that not only produces through our lives, but is also producing through the lives of other individuals. And if judgment does not leave our hearts and our minds, we will never be effective at that. Is it hard? You bet. It's hard to watch a young Christian make mistakes, and sometimes you absolutely let them, unless it's going to be catastrophic. I'm the same way with my grandson. He likes to hold on to some things that move. He knows those things move. So if he decides he's going to stand up on something that moves, he knows a pretty good chance he's going to hit the floor. How many times have you hit the floor? I lost count the number of times I hit the floor. (laughs) But I can promise you, every time that I hit the floor, I was the blessed one. Because there was always a brother who was standing next to me, who was ready to hook me under my arm, stand me up, and say, hey, let's go talk about what you just learned. That's the way that it's supposed to happen. Not posting billboards that say God hates fags. Not by posting billboards that says the American military is going to go to hell. Not by being forward about any of these opinions or ideals and even doctrinal things. I tell people all the time, it's, it even goes this far with me. Do you think that I walk right up to somebody in the conversation and engage them immediately with, hey, I'm Keith Barron, I'm a pastor? Mm-mm. No. I don't know what these people's experiences are. There are some people who have been treated very badly by pastors. There are some people who have been treated very good by pastors. There are some people who have been sexually molested by pastors. You don't know what kind of reaction you're going to get when you start throwing that you're a pastor out. I want to keep them in a conversation. I don't want to throw anything in conversation that's going to end that conversation. So why would I throw anything in there that even potentially could end that conversation? Let's get to know each other a little bit. Let's get to know each other a little bit. Then I'll talk to you about what it is that I believe. I'll talk to you about what it is that you believe. We can sit and talk and compare about how those two systems are set up against each other. But I can promise you this. You don't ever get in a a conversation with a lost person, or if you can't keep a conversation with a lost person, you're going to have a pretty low track record when it comes to leading people to Jesus. It's absolutely important for us as individuals to not be judgmental. The truth is, I've found that any time that I became judgmental, that it affected the way that I treated people. And and what I mean by that is this. Did you know that it's not only judgment to say that somebody's going to hell, but it's also judgment to to say somebody's going to heaven? Do you you have any idea how many false pretenses you can create in your body by even assuming you have the authority to know that? Now, can I tell people that I saw evidence that would lead me to believe? Absolutely, I can. But judgment is not supposed to be any part of us. That means, and and I'll tell you this, 
You get to that point where judgment's no part of you, you'll sit at a table with a transgender and have a conversation. You'll sit across the table from a homosexual and have a conversation. And the truth is, if you get good at it, meaning staying away from the offensive stuff that closes off conversations, you could probably talk for a solid hour to someone who's a homosexual. It's all about how you lay it out. Every bit of it is. With our children growing up, we're going to be gone one day. What kind of a church do we want to see when they're the ones that are where we're at now? Because whatever we're doing and whatever we're being, that's what they're going to do. And that's what they're going to be. If you're here today, you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit touches you. You'll know what that is. If it happens, come down here and talk to me. I can't save you, but I will spend whatever time is necessary to make sure that you know the one that can. If you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we're naturally individuals who are at least, on some level, prejudiced. It's born into us. It's learned into us. There's a lot of things about our mentality that's got to change. If we're going to be telling people about Jesus, then we've got to be people who are representing him as he desires to be represented. And that, just like everything else in this sermon, intentionality. You be intentional. Truth is, I preached a sermon last Sunday. That, little, that sermon was a pretty broad sermon, but it included one little boy. And I believe that individuals being drawn to God's word and it being tightened up, just how much there are people in this world, including little boys that need to be loved, that it multiplied the patience that the people in this church had for that boy this last week. That's what God's word's supposed to do. That's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to shape us and mold us to make us more effective in what it is that he's called us to be. Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. Have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.